Hey guys, I just wanted to give a little forewarning that we had some issues recording on this episode and the quality is subpar. Luckily, it isn't totally unlistenable and thanks to some generous donations, we'll be looking into better recording options for future episodes. So thanks so, so much for supporting this endeavor and hopefully it'll allow us to make this an even better experience for you. Hello and welcome to the Self-Satisfied Podcast. I'm Britta and I'm here with Kathy as usual. Hello. Kathy, how was your week? My week was okay. Uh, well, it was, it's better now. <laughs> it was that a roller coaster over. of a week, but I mean, it's pretty good today and yesterday. So we're just trucking along. Hey, what was your bright spot in your week? Well, I have a couple bright spots, so is this? I'm cheating, so I'm That's sorry. The more bright spots, the better. Yeah, okay. I know, right? It's better than the dim spots. It seems like there's a lot of those sometimes, but not right now. Right now, my bright spot is that I'm actually pretty proud of myself. I set a boundary that I didn't want to set, and it was really hard for me, and it was really painful, but I stuck to it, and I did it. And I'm still kind of sad about it, still kind of regretting it, not not regretting it, but, you know, still kind of, uh, what if I hadn't done this? Yeah, it's all for the greater good. Yeah, I mean, it's something that is better for me in the long run, and it's going to save me a lot of pain and turmoil. But right now, I'm just like, oh. Right, right. doesn't mean you have to like it all the time. Right. I am proud that I did that. So now, I just have to expect you to hold me accountable to stick to that because, uh. I will try. <laughs> I'm an enabler. It's what I do. I know. We're both. Codependent, we're... girl. Like, I'll let you mess up, and I'm going to tell you it'll be fine. We're learning, we're growing. So just tell me I'm a mess. Tell me it's not right. <laughs> and then my second bright spot is that my aunt is in town from Texas. So we get to spend time with her. It seems like for the past few years, the only time I've been able to see her is really for like funerals or something. So it's really nice to be able to spend time with her, just having fun and enjoying ourselves. Okay, so that's it. What's your bright spot? How was your week? Uh, I don't remember, so I'm going to assume that I disassociated right out of feeling bad stuff. (laughs) Not terrible, but... I mean, it felt long, but I I took a couple days off of work, and it was an easy work week, and my store is still together, despite the fact I took two and a half days off, so that's one bright spot. (laughs) My big bright spot this week will be that Foster came up to visit, so I got to see Foz, which is nice. I miss him, even though he's a turkey. (laughs) The cutest ones always are. Always. Not not a whole lot happened, obviously. David came up, too, but nothing to report there. (laughs) Said I was going to talk to him. Didn't come up, okay? (laughs) Well, we'll get there. Progress isn't linear. Didn't we just have this discussion? So we'll get there. It's slow but sure. I'm going to use that line on my face. Yeah, you can talk to him in 2023. It's fine. I'm going to be like, hope. Progress isn't linear. Okay. (laughs) He's going to be like, Brittany, 
shut the fuck up. <laughs> Progress is non-existent with your communication skills, though. So, it's, you know, it's small. But there's progress there. So I'm, I'm going to use that as a mini bright spot, too. Yeah, yeah, there you more. go. I still there don't you go. great or, like, as I'm feeling things, but I get there eventually. I mean, that's progress. That's progress. That's better than you were five years ago, right? That's right, when I would just never, ever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this week we have promised that we are going to talk a little bit about how to heal our attachment traumas or issues. So Kathy is going to go into a bit about what she is working on and researching to heal her issues first. So one method that I'm doing, and this works with, it seems like any attachment style except for secure because they just oh, they know what they're doing oh. Oh, I <laughs> oh, i'm secure and i already i'm confident <laughs> the unicorn of the relationship world oh. bullshit bullshit <laughs> anyways this is for any attachment traumas that you've experienced in childhood so the inner child concept is basically introduced by psychologist carl Jung as one of his archetypes so I'm not going to go into those. They're actually really interesting, but I'm not going to get into all that because it's the whole thing. But he had one of his archetypes was like a childlike figure. He also introduced the term shadow work, which kind of correlates with inner child work because they're very similar. Um, your inner child is essentially the part of you that is still kind of repressed from your childhood. It can include like positive and negative Things. The concept of inner child work is basically when you're a child, pre-puberty, you learned certain things. And those things that you've learned, they can include positive and negative. But if you were a child who experienced a lot of traumas, whether they were major traumas or small traumas, like even say your best friend moved away, that can create some issues and some coping mechanisms and some abandonment issues there. Essentially, shadow work also represents the person's unconscious as a whole, which usually embodies the compensating values to those held by conscious, essentially your dark side. And your inner child's kind of the same. Like they, it's the parts of you that you don't recognize on the surface that they affect your actions. Yes, the parts of you that you don't recognize on the surface, but they tend to come up when you're in a moment of crises or like a, a difficult period. There's a concept of the outer child that Susan Anderson had introduced. Essentially, your inner child is the one who feels the emotions that you don't recognize on the surface. So, like, whenever somebody is, say, yelling at me, and I want to be like, okay, you're not going to take this, but the inner child in me is just kind of remembering back when I was getting yelled at when I was four years old. So your inner child feels, your outer child is the reaction to that inner child's feelings. And then your adult is essentially you as a person. Say you're in an argument with your partner and mm -hmm. they're yelling at you. The adult secure thing to do would be to say, hey, this is escalating. We need to take a step back, take some time, think about what we're feeling, what we're going through, and then come back when we can communicate you know, respectfully and maturely. Meanwhile, your inner child is scared and upset because somebody they love is angry with them. So your outer child, instead of being 
mature and secure in saying, I'm not tolerating this. We need to separate. Your mm-hmm. outer child would maybe lash out back. Right, right. Back or a personal example that I've kind of used to describe it. When I was younger, one of my earlier traumatic memories is like the first time my dad didn't pick us up or forgot, supposedly, to pick us up. And I sat by the door with my suitcase packed. I was ready to go. And I was just like sitting there for hours and hours watching the time go and then the sun was setting and it was getting close to bedtime and then I remember like just sobbing next to the door and like that that still sticks with me so now say I'm supposed to meet somebody or I have like a date or something like that um and they are running late and they're not communicating with me I actually had this kind of recently with somebody where they were running behind and then they weren't communicating, hey, I'm going to be a little bit late. And inside, I was back in that moment. Like I was that little kid crying by my suitcase again. So that's essentially what your inner child is. It puts you back in that situation. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So essentially, children are blank slates. So they're impressionable and they absorb everything in their environment. Their inner child is what is developed before puberty. So if you had a traumatic experience when you're 13 or 15 or something, that doesn't mean that doesn't matter, but it's not really part of your inner child. Right. Like like, it's it's the things that you would have experienced before you really had the emotional capacity to process them at all. Obviously, if you go through trauma when you're 15, you still might have trouble or put off processing it, but it's different for a six-year-old. Your brain obviously aren't as mature. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So I just mentioned some really specific wounds that stick with me. And we talked about some of my childhood wounds in the last episode. I have found there's certain techniques. One big one is reparenting. And that's essentially you're reteaching yourself how to react to these situations. So whenever I am having that moment, I can stop and pause say to myself, you're going to be okay, Cassie, that they're probably just running late. Comfort myself as a parent would comfort me instead of just Cassie, just shut the fuck up. (laughs) Because hopefully your parent wouldn't say that to you. And then another thing that I found really helpful is meditation. There's actually some really good ones on YouTube. One that I specifically have stuck with is envisioning yourself in those moments while you're meditating and Picturing yourself as a young child and then as your older self coming in and telling that child what you need to hear in that moment. So back to the moment that I was referring to earlier, back then, my mom did comfort me. I'm not saying she didn't, but that's not what stuck with me. So I needed that reassurance that she did give to me at the time, but I didn't remember. I pictured myself coming in and giving myself a big hug and say, Cassie, you know, this isn't your fault. You did nothing wrong. He's sick right now and is essentially kind of how I framed it because he was. He was doing it for selfish reasons because he was out drinking or using drugs. So it was a sickness. 
comforting myself saying, you're going to be great. Everything will be okay in the end. So that's kind of a good method that I really like. You know, it's funny. We were talking about the difference in experiencing trauma as a teenager or Mm -hmm. a young adult versus these traumas at six years old. Had you had this trauma at 15 and your mom came to you and explained those things, that might have stuck with you because then your brain can process that part. You could say, okay, she's right. It's not my fault. And that would have helped you through the trauma. But at six Mm -hmm. years old, I think of Foster at seven, who, when I explained that he is going to his room because he's through his iPad and he's just mad at me for sending him to his room. And I can't explain to him, listen, you're just in here to calm down because whatever. But it's the same thing. It's not that your mom didn't give you the right things in the moment. It's when you were six years old, you I didn't have the capacity to write it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like she did anything wrong or did not do something right. It's just that now, if you're envisioning you telling your inner child that stuff, now you have the capability to actually understand and believe that exactly that's perfectly sums it up because it's essentially whether you had a good childhood or not you can still go back and revisit these because everyone had difficult periods in their childhood that affected them in one way or the other it's a good practice I also do a lot of journaling and some of the journaling that I've done is really vulnerable it requires you to just kind of pick apart pieces of yourself that you didn't really think that you had so one of them was write a letter to yourself as a child and as an adult now what you would tell your 10 year old self who was going through a hard time and write it as you would write to a child so if I were to write a letter to one of my children I wouldn't be like hey Cassie you dumb bitch which I do that sometimes to myself but I wouldn't do that to my kids so phrasing it like I would if I were writing to a 10-year-old, was really pretty impactful. Another one was writing a letter to the person who caused you the most harm. So writing a letter to my dad, that was really gut-wrenching because it's hard to put yourself back in that moment. And also, my dad's passed away, so it's kind of hard to have those resentments and not be like, okay, I can't address these with him. So writing that letter actually helped because I can't talk to him about it. And we never, we never got that out. And when he passed away, we had a good relationship, but I was never able to address the issues that I had had in childhood. And even if your parents are still living, you may not want to tell them. Like, I think my mom's wonderful, but I don't want to bring up to her about my childhood because I'm like, I don't want to make you feel guilty because I know you tried, but also. Exactly. I'm in the the same boat with my parents. I feel like they both know that I did not relish my childhood, you know, Mm -hmm. that they made mistakes or whatever, but I feel like our relationship right now is good. I have a decent relationship with both my parents and bringing up to my mom, oh, here's the ways you hurt me as a kid. It's just going to make her feel bad, and I don't feel like that's necessary for my healing to make my mom feel shitty about herself, Mm -hmm. because I know that she had it worse than I did, you know? So she was probably the best that she had available, and there's no sense in hashing that stuff up to her so that I can feel better. That's a great example, too, because if you write a letter to her, and that gets everything out, and then you can burn that letter... And you got all your emotions out, but you didn't have to actually talk to them about it and say, hey, listen, this is how you sucked, but 
I, when I was I 10, know. here's the things you did that weren't cool. Right, <laughs> right. 20, 25 years ago. <laughs> and then there was one, which this one fucking sucked. I'm just going to tell you this right now, is recognizing your own toxic patterns and where they stem from. That one was so hard. <laughs> Everyone has toxic patterns and a lot of them do stem from inner child abandonment wounds. Um, at least mine do. But you don't want to recognize that you kind of suck as a person, right? You're like, listen, I don't really do a whole lot wrong, do I? I'm, I'm not that bad. No, we're all toxic in our own ways. <laughs> and you have to recognize that if you actually want to improve it. I'll give you a couple examples of mine. I'm not going to give you all the examples because we're not there yet, podcast <laughs> listeners. We're not, we're not on that level yet. <laughs> Like one is trying to hide your panic. So like if I'm in a situation where I'm arguing or somebody's hurting my feelings and I try to pretend like I'm fine instead of saying like, hey, this does hurt me because I don't want them to get upset and say, well, fuck it, I'm, I'm done then. So I'm like, okay, I'm just going to push it all down, repress all those feelings. I mean, that's a toxic um, trait. And then unrealistic expectations. I have those a lot wanting too much too soon and overreacting and over needing and right next to that I put yup <laughs> <laughs> because those are things I do and that does stem from me having you know wanting all of this stuff as, ch as a child and not getting it addressing your past is another big one that kind of can tie in with um, journaling and meditation and all of that too and then nurturing your creativity Doing things that you thought that you loved as a child, but maybe you don't do as an adult because you're like, eh, I'm grown, not going to do anything fun. No, I love skipping stones in the lake and jumping in creeks and stuff like that. Doing that as an adult is just as fun as doing that as a kid. So nurturing your inner child and going out and having fun. If you like to paint, go paint. Even if you're just splattering paint around, have fun with it. Another thing, which this suits you extremely well, Britta, is having a collection. I love collecting. collecting. I know. You're, you're the ultimate collector. Kid at heart. <laughs> and I have a collection of crystals because I'm mystical as shit, guys. And that kind of satiates that need. Just, I don't know, doing all these things that you didn't really get the opportunity to enjoy as much when you were a kid because you had all these other things going on in your life that kind of overshadowed that. Like, yeah, I, I skipped stones and I jumped in creeks and I collected things, but that's not what I'm thinking about when I'm looking back at my childhood. So it's really nice to be able to do that now and enjoy it. Where do you get your journal prompts from? A lot of them from TikTok. <laughs> TikTok is my secondary therapist. But I do find a lot on there, and I just look up the hashtag inner child or inner child healing, and a lot come up. But I also Googled some, looked up some websites that have them. You can find them just about anywhere. I also have been reading through this book called Taming Your Outer Child, Overcoming Self-Sabotage and Healing from Abandonment by Susan Anderson. She has a lot of books on abandonment. And like I was saying earlier, she kind of introduced that concept of outer child. And there's a lot in there that I've kind of taken and used as journaling prompts as well. That's all I have. So I said last week that I couldn't find anything on healing. And then I watched like three TikToks and now I'm set. I don't have anything so concrete as 
okay, I'm working on my inner child or this is a specific thing. But I did write down some things that I think will be helpful to keep in mind. First facet of healing is to process that shit. There is a TikToker called Proactive Busybody who had a really good method of processing what you're doing now. And like you were mentioning your own toxic traits. So this kind of falls in line with that. And also it's kind of a callback to the last episode where you talked about how when you're in your therapist's office and she's giving you the Socratic questions and you can be like, okay, this is where that feeling comes from. And this is where that Mm -hmm. feeling comes from. This is how I should act on those, et cetera, et cetera. But then when you're in the moment, you're just like, I'm going to call this guy or whatever. And then 20 minutes later, you're like, fuck, I should have used a Socratic question there and figured out what I wanted to do. Basically, when you have an unideal reaction to a situation, whether you're in a fight and you yell back at somebody or you escalated a situation or whatever, journal it, talk through it with a a friend or a therapist or something like that. Her specific method was to document the event. This thing happened to me document your reaction to that event so what it was that you did and then also document when you realize that that reaction was not the ideal reaction when that wasn't a great reaction presumably at that point you'd also want to try to make amends for that situation so if you are perceiving them as inconsiderate and then you go back and apologize and say hey this is what I was feeling in that moment and I was projecting feelings onto you that maybe you weren't having can we talk about it And the idea here is the more you write out these timelines, Wednesday at 9 a.m. this happened, I reacted this way, and then at noon I realized that that was not an appropriate reaction, the Mm -hmm. faster you're going to come to that oh shit moment every time. So you may do this 10 times in a week, but if it's for the same kind of reaction, by that 10th time, it's not taking till noon until you realize that you've messed up. Now I'm realizing I messed up at 9.45 instead of at noon. And the idea is that you will eventually recognize that that response is inappropriate before you have the response and you'll be able to respond appropriately. She mentioned also that this is especially helpful for neurodivergent people, which I think is true. Obviously, when you have ADHD or something to that effect, you tend to be very impulsive. Uh, Mm -hmm. So you may not think your actions through or your words through before they come out. And later you realize they were wrong. And I think that especially when you're dealing with attachment stuff, you may feel like, okay, it's too late to change what I've done. So I guess I'm just going to move on. But if you're not really studying that and looking at it and making note of it, then you're not going to change the way you are because we don't change without strong habits. (laughs) Like we have to form that habit of thinking, here's what happened. Here's how I reacted. Here's why that's not okay. Here's how I should have reacted. And those reaction times will get faster every single time, just like waking up early. You might be somebody who really likes to sleep in, but if you set your alarm 30 minutes earlier every day, before you know it, you're getting up at 5 a.m. with very little issue, you know? It, it still sucks to get up at 5 a.m. if you'd like to sleep in. I'm just going to say that because I do that regularly, and I would love to sleep until noon. Second facet of healing is to shift your perspective. Another TikTok user, which is all my sources, sorry. Motivational speaker, like Fofer. They talk about how we might perceive our partners as inconsiderate unjustly when we're not practicing solid communication. 
So maybe our values aren't the same and because they don't value the same thing that you do or know what you value. And of course, they're not going to be considerate of those things because they don't know you value those things or they're not things that they consider important. Considering that before you get upset about things and also considering the ways that maybe your values don't align with theirs so that maybe you're not being considerate of all the things they feel you should be and maybe you're not meeting their needs because there's just aspects that you're not considering at all leads a better more open non-judgmental communication because it's no longer about which one of you is right or wrong in that scenario but it's about what differences you have and how you guys can learn to better accommodate one another I did want to make a note here that it's really important to make sure that when your issues align with mine and you tend to be people pleasing, that you aren't putting off your values and your needs. So you're not saying, okay, they don't value what I value and that's why they did the thing. So I'm just going to let it go. Right. You're saying, hey, I understand that maybe you didn't think about this thing, but it is something that's very important to me. So I need you to make sure that we are considering that more in the future. So it's more about coming to terms with how both of you can be more aware of, of each other's values. Back to the first thing you were talking about where you realized your reaction time and everything. And then you had mentioned something about talking to a friend, right? I know you and I have done that a lot where I've like written out these paragraph to whoever I'm pissed at at that moment and I'm like okay I'm sending this to you because I want to send it to them but I shouldn't send it to them <laughs> so I'm just gonna send it to you and I'm gonna pretend like <laughs> I got it out and there's a lot of times whenever I do that and then you and I talk about it and I'm like you know I know this is a right to feel this way and we talk about the emotions and stuff that's a really beneficial thing that I think we've done in the past I would definitely recommend I do think to that point it is also important to mention that you don't want to take that to the point where you're not trusting your own reactions and guts entirely. Mm -hmm. Obviously, okay. we can't trust our attachment trauma responses. And while you're kind of learning what the appropriate reactions and responses are to things, then it's definitely smart to have somebody you can reach out to to say, hey, am I being normal here or mm -hmm. am I overreacting or underreacting or whatever? But I do at this point in my life, think that I have communicated so little about my own needs that I feel like everything is crazy. So sometimes <laughs> I'll put in the group chat or ask you or Sheree or Chantel, like, you guys as husbands are cool with holding your hands, right? Like, you guys hold hands sometimes? <laughs> or am I being crazy? Is that too much? And it's like, what do you mean is that too much? For the most basic level of affection? No, I don't think you're asking too much. What? So you don't want to get to the point where you're literally running every single reaction through people, what I tend to do sometimes. But I think that'll come with getting to know yourself, establishing boundaries, etc. I'm a hothead. I feel like you always do it very appropriately. Like, you're not coming to me and being like, hey... I want to get coffee with this guy. Do you think that's okay? You're not like asking. Well, that's because I'm impulsive as fuck. If somebody asks me to coffee and I think they're hot, I'm going to go to coffee with them. Like, I don't care. I don't care what coffee. you say. I feel like you always do it in times when you realize, hey, I'm worked up. I'm upset about something. This seems like a harsh reaction. Let me see if I'm being excessive here. 
I had sent you something that I had written to somebody and there's some feedback. And in that moment, I was like, okay, I understand what you mean in that, but here's my thoughts. And we were able to talk that out. And right, kind of, right. It's not like yeah. you just took my opinion at, at face like, value. Bit. She said, I can't send it. Right, <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. It's just a guide and they're there to help. But yeah, there's no trouble in asking for an opinion as long as you can take that opinion into account and then still decide to do what you feel is best for you, whether it follows right. that opinion or not. And I know um, there were some times before my ex and I had split up where I would send you something and I'm like, okay, tell me, do you think this sounds like gaslighting? <laughs> right, right, right. Because I, I can't tell. <laughs> so, Which is a, a totally fair thing. Gaslighting is, is hard to discern, especially when you're somebody right. with ADHD. I don't delete my text messages because if I tell David I want to go out Saturday night and he's like yeah cool that'd be that'd be great and then Saturday night comes along and I'm like hey I thought we were going to go out and he's like I never said that then I'm like search text messages for Saturday night like okay okay I'm not crazy I'm going <laughs> to communicate solely in text messages with my ex from now on <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm probably only going to communicate with my future partners through text messages <laughs> I'm only going to communicate with anyone via text <laughs> and and you and I we don't we can text back and forth and then our conversations are going to be recorded from now on so just in case just, just FYI case. this is a blanket statement here on out recorded <laughs> <laughs> the third aspect of healing for Britta is to love yourself first and foremost so we're going to dive into how to catch feelings for ourselves next week but i feel like this is a really important step in my healing process i consider myself a really confident person i know i'm smart i know i can be funny i know i'm a hard worker i know i'm a decent person but i also am deeply afraid that if i'm ever anything but all of those positive qualities that all of those qualities are going to be instantly negated like I'm smart but if I forget my credit card payment and catch a late fee then I'm a dumb bitch we were just talking about this where half of our alarms at our phone said wake up you dumb bitch and then we were like mm, maybe we shouldn't do that because that kind of now that I've done some healing and now that I've kind of worked on myself a little maybe I shouldn't call myself names because I wouldn't be okay if somebody was like you need to wake up you dumb bitch to me so why am I okay saying it to myself? We kind of frame that as, you badass bitch. <laughs> One of mine was to close payroll at work. Every Monday, we have to go through our payroll program and close it out so that everybody gets paid. And there were several weeks in a row that I had forgotten to do it. And so my district manager had to call me or text me and say, hey, close payroll. And so I finally, I put a reminder in my phone and I was frustrated with myself because I had to get texted by my DM three weeks in a row. And I said, close payroll, you dumb bitch. And I just put it on for every Monday at 7 a.m. to know that I had to close payroll. And that's because I'm, I wasn't giving myself any grace there. Like, I am a store manager. I am a mother. I'm a wife. I'm a human being. I have ADHD on top of all of that. So I managed to do my job well, raise children, keep my house standing and in decent cleanliness. So if I forget to close payroll, yes, it's a mistake, but... I'm allowed to make mistakes. mistakes I'm allowed how to, you learn. to do a thing that I only do one time a week if I happen to be working on Monday. It's allowed. Mm -hmm. Making sure that you're shutting down that kind of that kind of negation. There's a lyric in a brand new song that says, my bright is too slight to hold back all my dark. And that has always punched me square in the gut. 
that mentality is what keeps me from letting romantic partners get close to me because if they get close, they're going to start to notice all of that dark. And if they Mm -hmm. notice all those flaws and if I have bad days, bad moods, bad ideas, why would they want to be with me? It doesn't matter if I'm kind and loving and hardworking and smart. If I have a need that, that puts them out in any way, none of that matters because now I'm just a needy, annoying bitch. And it's like there's 10 positive things about yourself and then there's one negative thing and that negative thing outweighs everything. Which relates back to your childhood trauma. Like you said, like your mom was there comforting you and telling you that it wasn't your fault. But is that what you remembered? No. Mm -hmm. You remembered being heartbroken that your dad wasn't there. And it's the same thing when I know that I'm all of these great things, but I make a mistake or I have something that I feel is a flaw or a crack in my my facade. I Mm -hmm. feel like that tears down everything. That's the only thing I focus on. I no longer am thinking about how smart and beautiful and hardworking I am. I'm just thinking, oh my God, you didn't do the dishes two nights in a row. You lazy piece of shit. Well, I'm always thinking about how smart and beautiful and hardworking you are. So just a heads up, if you ever need me to build you up, I got you, girl. (laughs) I don't necessarily believe that the you can't love or be loved until you love yourself is a blanket statement for all people. I think that there's obviously worse trauma than what I went through as a child. There are some people who may never fully heal from what they've gone through, and there are always maybe parts of themselves that they can't love for whatever Mm -hmm. reason. Um, or things that they can't get over. Don't necessarily think that makes them unlovable or incapable of loving other people. But I do think with my specific brand of insecurities and attachment issues that loving myself has to come first. I am never going to let anybody get close enough to love me if I don't trust that I am worth loving. So I feel like when you have an inexplicable fear of being abandoned, Truly learning to love yourself and accept yourself as flawed and realizing that flawed does not equal unworthy of love is going to make the path Mm -hmm. to vulnerability, security, and meaningful connections a hell of a lot smoother. This also means accepting when a person can't tolerate your flaws. That still doesn't mean you're not lovable. So if one person, maybe ADHD is a good example, we can be a bit much, okay? We get very excited about things. I tend to interrupt people when I'm excited, as I'm sure podcast listeners have noticed. There's a lot of things that come with that that to a neurotypical person can be kind of annoying, you know? And if I'm dating somebody who thinks that the fact that I can't always control the volume of my voice or that I get really excited about little things or that I have a new hyperfixation every weekend is so much that they don't want to be with me. That doesn't mean I'm broken. That doesn't mean that I'm not worthy of love. That just means that that person is not a good fit for me. And it doesn't make them a bad person either. It just means that we're not compatible. And that love addiction, but I need them to love me because I, I thought that this was going to work out and I've already envisioned it in my head. I lost my train of thought. Well, I think ADHD is a good one because I feel like you and I, the way we interact is we're we're constantly interrupting each other, but like it flows because we've been doing this for twenty years. We're fine with it, (laughs) right? And we don't we don't get annoyed by it because we both understand that I'm not interrupting you because I'm like, oh my god, finish your fucking sentence already. Like I'm interrupting you because I'm excited (laughs) about what you're saying and I want to interact with it. Right. right. Here's how I here's how I relate to it too. Exactly. Um, Even then, even with us who don't mind that we do that to one another, like now. 
<laughs> but we will often derail one another. So right. I'll be going on about a point and you'll be like, oh my God, this thing. And then I'll be like, what the fuck was I just saying? So we're talking about lizards now. And right. And I, <laughs> I have no idea how we got here. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, that's also something I was just using this as an example, because the way you and I communicate via text messaging, I get really excited and I'll write these long, long paragraphs or send you 15 texts in a row and you do the same exact thing to me. But recently I had been dating somebody and I would just communicate like that because that's naturally how I communicate with my friends. And he's like, oh, my God. <laughs> That's a lot. Right. Like, okay, well, not everyone gets how gets that reaction. Especially via text, you and I will be having three separate conversations at one time. Because of the lag and and sending and receiving, I'll say something and then I'll say something else and then you respond to the first thing and then you respond to the second thing. So I respond to your first thing and then your second thing and then you add a third thing and then Mm -hmm. (laughs) before you know, Mm -hmm. six conversations going simultaneously. Not everybody can handle that and, and that's okay. Not every person that you have feelings for or fall for is going to be equipped to handle whatever your dark might be. So if it ends, you can ask yourself, is this something that I'm capable of and willing to change? My ADHD. Am I willing to change it? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get neurotypical up in this bit. I just cut out the and you're, you're good. <laughs> I heard. <laughs> Am I capable of changing it? 25 milligrams of Adderall a day saying no. <laughs> no, you can't. You can chill out parts of it, but I'm always going to be loud. I'm always going to be having six conversations at once. I'm always going to lose my train of thought. Just who I am. But also, people love that about you. Like, there exactly. are people who love that. I know me, just about all of our, our close friends are shared, but that's one thing where it's like, we love that you're like that. And they love that I'm impulsive and just say random shit off the top of my head that I probably shouldn't say, but not everyone that we've been friends with or dated necessarily does like that. And like you said, that doesn't make them bad. It's just... Right. It doesn't make either party a bad party or a dysfunctional Mm -hmm. party. There are people out there that do love it. You just have to find those people. Funny, because actually last time I was hanging out with Sheree and Chantel, Chantel was talking about how much she loves how my brain works. And I was like, really? Really? (laughs) But asking yourself is whatever behavior or tick or whatever that they're unable to tolerate, is it something that's malicious or abusive? Is it something that I need to change, whether I feel like I'm capable or willing or not? Something like narcissistic personality disorder? Like, are you capable of changing it? Uh, Maybe. Are you willing to change it? No, I don't see anything wrong with the way I am. But is it hurting people? Yes. I don't think my interrupting or exuberant personality is necessarily abusive to people. But then there are sides of me, like you said, like you have to acknowledge those toxic parts too. Like there was something you said about yourself that I had related to pretty heavily about basically pretending everything is okay and not trying to hide your panic. Was it that one? Exactly. And that is something that I 100% do. And maybe part of that stems from the fact that growing up with undiagnosed ADHD, I hit a lot of my stuff because I knew that people didn't like it. I Mm -hmm. knew that I was weird. So the positive stuff, I always let shine through. I didn't mind being excited about things to a ridiculous degree. But when it comes to having my feelings hurt and stuff like that, there's a lot of emotional dysregulation that comes with ADHD. And 
whenever I would get my feelings hurt, I would tell myself, this is one of those things you're overreacting. You need to just suck it up, calm down. Just because your feelings are hurt doesn't mean they have to be like, hey, bitch, that hurt my feelings. You can still say Whether having your feelings hurt or not is appropriate, your feelings were still hurt. So it is important to say, hey, I don't know if I misunderstood your intention behind that, but... I'm feeling this way about it. So can we talk about what happened and what you meant and how I interpreted it versus how you intended it? And that's that's super important. Something that kind of goes along with that whole trying to hide your panic thing is you do that and you press those feelings down and you lose your authenticity. So essentially, you're not you. You're not your whole self because you're you're hiding a big part of yourself. You're also building resentment with that as well. You may think I'm overreacting and I'm going to let it go, but your feelings are still hurt regardless. And in the back of your mind, that's going to flavor future interactions with that person. So Mm -hmm. they may say something similar to what they said that hurt your feelings and you're going to rehash those old feelings. Yeah, I know with me, I think I'm a pretty nice person and I try to be a very considerate, giving person for the most part. But I do have a dark side where I get very sassy and I get very, sometimes I can come off as extremely blunt and maybe that's the ADHD portion of me where something just pops in my head and it comes out my mouth before it actually hits my brain. (laughs) Like, oh, okay, I probably shouldn't have said that. And it's not always good. And sometimes I react in a negative way before I actually think about my actions. But I do try to suppress that a lot. And I try to push that down and just pretend like I'm super nice and pretend like this thing doesn't bother me when it does. And then whenever I do, everything kind of word vomits out it's even worse than if I would have just said that one sassy comment. Yeah, ADHD is often, they talk about having like an all or nothing mentality. And I feel like when we are in those moments where we're like, okay, I'm going to have a negative reaction. We obviously, we don't want to yell or say something mean or be sassy and be a bad person. But instead of being like, okay, I need to acknowledge this thing that happened and my feelings about it in a kind way, We're just like, I won't acknowledge it at all because my instinct is to yell about it or throw a plate or whatever your instinct is, but we're all or nothing. So we're either going to yell and be pissed off and verbally decimate somebody or we're not going to say a damn thing about it. Right. Yep. It's just black and white. There's no gray area. Exactly. Sometimes it's definitely okay to squelch those feelings of anger when you do want to throw something and smash a plate or whatever. Perfectly acceptable to squelch that. But then we take it to the extreme. Like, I'm not going to have any emotions now. Yeah. We need a middle ground where... We're not throwing things and screaming at people or calling anybody a name or whatever, but we are still expressing what hurt our feelings. Right. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that is basically all I have. The last thing on loving yourself is you don't need that person who can't tolerate your behaviors or any person to be tethered to you to grow. If it's something that you've decided you want to change, then do it for the person who loves you the most, which should be you. Exactly. Next week, we're going to talk about how to catch feelings for ourselves. Yeah, I'm really excited about this. There's a lot of things that I am eager to talk about, and I know Britta is too, so I can't wait for this one. That will be good time. All right, we'll see you guys next week.
Okay. Have a good week. Bye.